Let me, uh, first of all, say great to be here. Uh, and for so many different reasons, it's great to be here, <clears throat> which I'll get into in a little bit here. I didn't create a slide for this one. I forgot about it, but I remember I saw it earlier today. And uh, I'm supposed to give you an update on financials, end of the year financials 2017. And the bottom line, if you saw it on the city, we made our budget. And for hope, that is incredible the amount of money that came in in the month of December, let alone the last week of December. I mean, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars that came in. So the last offertory I want to give is a thanks offering to God for the great work he has done through so many of you who have been so faithful in giving not just your money, of course, but your time and talents as well. So thank you, Hope, for the way in which you provide uh, for what God is doing in Minneapolis and St. Paul and the Twin Cities around the world, right? So this is fantastic. So there's my update. If you want to get details, if you're that kind of an individual, because I am not, uh, you can go to the city and see all the detailed numbers that are out there for you. All right. End of uh, praise God for that one. <clears throat> so my name's Stan Oster. I recognize a lot of the faces out there, which I wasn't sure if I was going to or not. Uh, and I am actually very happy to be here at Lower Town. Uh, the reason why I'm super excited to be here is I've been here a few times before, and is this not a beautiful building to worship in? I mean, just being in this building gives you a strong sense of an awareness of God. So I love coming here. I've been here a couple times uh, worshiping the Lord in this building. I think that's great, number one. Number two, uh, just the things that are already happening through hope is exciting uh, to hear about. And I get to hear about it every once in a while from Brian when we're in OT meetings or things like that, or elder meetings, whatever we call it now. But that's kind of exciting for what God has already been doing through you and exciting what he will be doing uh, as you continue uh, to grow as God sees fit. So that's really exciting. Uh, I'm up here tonight just because we're giving Brian a night off, I guess, although he's still here. So that's not my idea of a day off of work, but, <clears throat> but he's still here. Uh, we're going to let him off tonight. He'll be back right here this time next week uh, to preach it up. But we're giving them a night off here. So I'm here, and this is an opportunity for you, for some of you anyways, uh, to get to hear some elders talk every once in a while and find out what's kind of going on in our hearts and how we see uh, the preaching of the word. So Elder Hope, I, um, I am not only an elder in title, but at Hope in a lot of ways, although I am seeing more gray out there. I am certainly an elder in age as well. <clears throat> getting up there more and more and more. It's kind of weird when you hang out with youth, and I'm calling college-age students and just graduated from college youth uh, now because the older you get, the younger you all look. Um, so that's kind of what's happening there. Uh, I have been part of the hope since the very beginning. Uh, I was with Steve at Perkins, Pastor Steve, at Perkins back in 1995, 96, somewhere in there, maybe before some of you were even born. And we were talking about hope. We were dreaming about hope. And this is another reason to be excited about here, because I wasn't imagining at all Lower Town what God is doing. I am both excited and humbled by about being a part of that. So that is really exciting to be dreaming, remembering back in 1995, everything that we had been talking about and, and how, in a lot of ways, other than the mission of hope, right? Every, so much has changed but we have stayed on point when it comes to the mission of hope. So that is fantastic. <clears throat> so uh, some of you, is there any shapers out there? Anybody taking the class shape? There's a few of you. Woo! 
Very good. That's one class that I uh, do teach twice a year. If you're not aware of what SHAPE is, SHAPE is a class where you can, six weeks, where you can come and learn about your shape, right? Your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences, all for the purposes of finding out maybe where you fit in uh, for service. And that's an excellent class. If you're real interested in something like that, be looking on the city, because I'm sure our next class is probably starting sometime in February for that class. So excited about the shape class and all that it brings. Uh, During the day when I am not volunteering at Hope, I am an organizational development consultant. And what that means, a lot of people don't know what it, if I said OD, that's a whole nother, you know, kind of a story there. But um, this means organizational development. And what we do is we focus on leadership and team development and a lot of change so that businesses can go forward successfully doing what they do. So that's what I do spending most of my time. I am also a part-time adjunct faculty. I like to say the word adjunct. Uh, at University of St. Paul Northwestern. I don't know if anybody's ever been a part of that at all. Uh, but I do teach some management classes and communication courses there in the business department. As well, right now, my forte seems to be economics. So I am also a closet economist. I do really appreciate talking about all things supply and demand uh, and anything that's associated with that. Um, in, in undergrad, I spent quite a bit of time in economics as well as political science. So... this is not necessarily, I don't really like politics, to be honest, but I love talking about economics. So, all right, there we go. And coming to St. Paul, the other thing I want to mention here, I don't know if I was going to say this or not, but coming to St. Paul is almost like going to another state for me. Because I don't, I'm a Minneapolis guy, and I usually hang out there so often that coming to St. the roads are a little wabasha, you know, and all these kind of things. I don't really know all the, all the roads here, even, uh, so it's, it's like going to a whole other state. So I feel like I'm actually traveling right now a little bit. <clears throat> so that's kind of good, too, with my fam as well. So that's kind of good. So what I should do is turn to the next slide and introduce to you my family. I think whenever I see an elder speak, they always have a few slides up about their family, and I'll, I'll be no different there. Carol, who's sitting right here, she's my wife of 28, almost 29 years. Um, so that's great right there in and of itself. You might know Carol because she also works at Hope. She is the director of our Restoring Hope ministry. And together, we actually get to do a little ministry, uh, primarily focusing on our pre or pre-married, or actually now we get a lot of couples that have been married for you know a very short period of time, attend the class as well. Anybody in the pre-married class or the early married class? A few of hands raising there. They're still married, so this is a good thing. So, uh, so that's my wife, Carol, uh, to, I guess it would be, Right next to me would be my son, Matthias, the only other male in the picture. He is at the University of Southern Florida taking classes in physical therapy. I know Hugo's out here somewhere, a physical therapist. Uh, well, my son will eventually be there at the end of August. He'll be graduating in that. And my understanding from him, he was back for Christmas and said, I, I remember why I left for Florida. So <clears throat> for all the reasons he hates January, to be honest. So coming about that, that, that question. But, so I don't know if he'll be coming back but he'll be graduating there. In the middle there is my daughter, Lindsay. Uh, She works for a campus outreach, an organization called Campus Outreach at the University of St. Thomas. Uh, And the good news, if you saw, I think some people saw that. Anyways, if if you're Facebook friends with me or Carol, you saw that she got engaged on Wednesday of this week. So we'll be uh, inviting another person into our family soon. He did get the, uh, he did get the time spent with dad. 
you know, asking those questions. So he's good enough to make it through that. He's good enough to marry my daughter. So that's fantastic. And then finally, who's sitting right here, we have Erica. Uh, she is my youngest, and she is a uh, junior at the University of Eau Claire. Any blue gold people out there at all? Crickets, Erica. So... <laughs> No blue golders, no one knows what a blue gold is, but she's a junior in the communications and also a shot putter and a discus thrower uh, for the track team. So I don't know if anybody's involved with that. And she has, I don't know if she'd want me to say that, but she has potential to be a national champ this year. So we're excited about that. So I am, as you can tell, a very proud dad and a very proud husband of my family. All right, there's end of who Stan is a little bit. <clears throat> Let's get into why I'm here as you have been a part of the last four weeks, we are in a series about O Holy Night, right? The song, the, 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 the carol. I am here to be the caboose to finish this series off. So it's taken us four weeks, and tonight we're gonna focus on the fourth stanza, or if that's not a word, a verse, which is for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So what I'd like to do to get us started off on this is I'd like to actually read O Holy Night. I don't know if Ben did that. I tried to actually go online and see the, uh, you know, the PowerPoint, but couldn't find it. So I don't know if he did that, but we're going to go ahead and just read that real quick. I'm going to read that. I'm going to try not to sing, uh, but I will read. And what I'd like you to do, I heard that, uh, I heard from Pastor Brian that you guys are actually a participatory kind of audience. So I'm going to ask you to think about when, when you see this, the verse where it says, uh, for yonder breaks, right, a new and glorious morning. I want you to just think about what does that mean? What are some thoughts and what are some words that come to mind when I hear that verse? Ready? All right, let's give this a shot. Okay, it starts with, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeareth, and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night divine, O night, O night divine. So my question to you is, what were you thinking? What comes to mind when you hear that verse for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Anybody want to take a shout out? Brian. He lied. <clears throat> well, let me give you some thoughts that came out when I asked a few people. So I'd probably get you one on one, you'd say something, I'm sure. One of the things that people typically think of when you think of a new and glorious morn, and I know that says, uh, there's a little typo here. I should say a new and glorious morn morn, right? <clears throat> but the first thing that comes to mind is on the left, my left side, I guess, or your left side, would be somebody who thinks about changes that they've made, right, in their life, or changes that you want to make. January, right? A great uh, entry question here. Oftentimes when you think of a new and glorious morn, January falls right in there, doesn't it? There we want to lose some weight. We want to grow a beard, we want, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that there's potential, right, every single morning that we could make. So commitments and goals are usually a part of people's mornings of some sort. Now, at my house, uh, this was supposed to be hidden until I hit it again, but 
I threw this slide in the light. My house actually looks like the right side over there, so we do not have anything when it comes to making our mornings absolutely great. We are a little bit more, it's difficult to get into the morning. You know, that mattress, no matter how lumpy it is, feels really good, doesn't it, at 6 a.m.? So <clears throat> where you couldn't sleep at night, you can sleep just perfectly in the morning. So that's a little bit more about our family. The other thing when you think of a new and glorious morning, though, is it is a sentence in a lot of ways that has been taken over by advertisements, by politics, by, I always say, uh, Madison Avenue, which is where a lot of the advertisers used to be. So on the one side, you have Good Morning America, right? This is a news show, if you aren't aware, on ABC. That I, I woke up to most mornings. My parents had the TV on, one of those 24-7 TV kind of households, where before I went to school, I was always watching some sort of Good Morning America. So there it is, right there on our TV. It's also, I don't know if many of you are aware, you're going to have to be history buff for this one, which was in my present time, may have been in some of your history, there was a president that used to be, his name was Ronald Reagan, right? 1984, he was up for re-election. Anybody remember who he was going against? Our own, that's right, our own uh, guy right here from Minnesota, Walter Mondale. And uh, it was actually... I just read a little, I just, you know, preparing for this, I watched a little five-minute five history little lesson on this, on this uh, commercial, and they actually give it credit for helping Ronald Reagan win his reelection. I mean, it was said after people watched this video that, that Walter Mondale was not running against President Reagan alone. He was running against America. I mean, that's how potent this good morning, this new and good morning was so if you want to get a chance, you can go ahead and watch that. So uh, the only state won, Mondale won was Minnesota. It was 49 to 1. <clears throat> um, hopefully, that will be just the opposite when our Vikings probably play the Saints, right? <clears throat> It'll be a little different there. Anyways, these are just some of the things that people think about when it comes to a new and glorious morn. Now, when it comes to a word picture that people typically think of. I've asked a few people, those in my family and a few others, what comes to mind? There's really one word that was consistent across all people of all age groups, and it was the word hope. When you think of a new and glorious morning, it's a, it's in a sense, it's a synonym for a, a, a new start, right? It's, it's a fresh beginning. It's an opportunity to try again, Right? It offers freshness, and it offers an opportunity to sort of get out of bed and get back on the horse. So there's a lot to this new and glorious morning. Now, there is new and glorious mornings, and then there are new and glorious mornings. My next question to you, which we'll see if there's some participation in this question this time, is when does the morning feel most new and glorious. I mean, capital new, capital G. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, after coffee. There's a good one. All right, I'll take that as an answer. I didn't think of that because I don't drink coffee. Um, Carol drinks enough for the whole family. <clears throat> What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. I wrote down that when at night it feels most hopeless. And when you are feeling dark 
and there are troublesome situations that you can get out of. When you do get out of it, that's real glorious, right? There is a correlation between hopelessness and a connection to new and glorious mornings, right? The more hopeless you feel, the more glorious it feels when you get out of it. You might recognize this shot here. This is of the two towers, right? Am I really dating myself? Are you guys watching that stuff anyways? Jared Tolkien is timeless, right? So that's good. He, he, in the two towers, you have Helm's Deep here, right? Where they're trying to stay away from the orcs and all is lost. They breach the wall that no one has ever breached before. The orcs are streaming through the walls and somehow Gimli, Legolas, and Aragorn, along with uh, the King of Rohan, the four of them and a few knights are gonna charge out against 100,000 orcs that can't shoot straight and take them on, right? They're gonna... (laughs) They're going to they're gonna take them on. And they actually do that for quite a while until a light shines down on them right here. And Aragorn looks to the right and he remembers just a few days ago, it was Gandalf the White who said, look for me on the fifth day. Uh, I will be right there for you. And when all was hopeless, here comes Gandalf at the last moment. And you can see the charge of the Light Brigade here coming down and taking care of those orcs. So that is what I'm thinking about when it comes to a new and glorious morning is that it really is new and glorious in correlation to the hopelessness that you do feel. And I think our song, O Holy Night, kind of takes a little piece of that too. You can see this if we just look at those four stanzas that we've been talking about the last four weeks in reverse order. Let's do reverse order. Uh, I use at work sometimes a model called the five whys. You guys have heard of that, right? 5Y model helps you get to the root cause because you just keep asking why, why, why. I know there's only three here, um, but you know, Brian's maybe a little slow, so we just kept it to three instead of went to five. So, um, so let's try this and work backwards and see why. Why is there a yonder breaks a new and glorious morning? So we just ask why the yonder breaking a new and glorious morning? Why? Well, because there is a thrill of hope and a weary world is rejoicing. Why is there a thrill of hope in a weary weary world that rejoices. Well, because who appeared? Jesus appeared, right? It's the baby in the manger. And our soul felt his worth, right? Well, why is it so precious to feel the worth of Jesus, which is the primary topic of tonight's subject, the worth of Jesus? Why is that? Well, because for so long, the world has laid in sin and error pining. Now, we could keep on going and drilling down, couldn't we? You could, why, why does, is the world in sin and error pining? And we could go all the way back to Genesis, right, chapter 3, and we could do the story of Adam and Eve and all of that, and we could even go wise back there and get all philosophical about where evil comes from and things like that. But you get the point, right? Why, why, why? Why is there a new and glorious morn? Because there was great hopelessness in the world. We didn't have that. And what is beautiful here, what I think this song does so good, which I'm going to touch on for the rest of the evening here, is this appearance of Jesus and that our soul longs for the hope that he brings. That's the new and glorious morning. It's actually an awareness of the hopelessness that we feel and the worth that we receive when we understand who Jesus is in our lives, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there is an awareness that he is more than it even appears. 
and our soul recognizes that quite clearly. So I'm going to actually go, and we're going to spend a little bit of time here in the, in the letter of, not the gospel of John so much, but the letter of John. So we're going to be in 1 John, so if you want to get your, your um, really nice, actually, Bibles that are in our pews here, a lot of those have uh, even those covers on that, which I think is kind of cool. Or you can pull out your phone. We're just going to be in the first four verses. So let me take you there, and let's take a look at these verses together. <clears throat> All right. Verse, uh, 1 John 1 to 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And what I'm going to do is just take you real quickly here now, through four points that I have about how the appearance of Jesus and his worth is really what the new and glorious morn is all about. So my four points are pretty quick and simple. Uh, Jesus is real, number one. Number two, salvation is by grace alone. Sin and death is defeated. And number four, you have fellowship with God. And what I'm gonna do is just pick apart those first four verses and let you see those in a little bit deeper uh, context. So let's just start with that first point, Jesus is real. What's super cool, if you spend a little time and look at this, is that the first two verses, I counted six different ways that John tells us that he has experienced the reality of Jesus. <clears throat> it says, we have heard, we have seen, we have looked at, our hands have touched, John wants you to know, start right out here, that Jesus is real. He is not some mythical archetype, right, dressed in some spiritual metaphor. He was a real person. The Christmas story that O Holy Night talks about and that the gospel writers have wrote to you about are real. You know, Pastor Steve sometimes says, read the Bible like it's real. I mean, the manger was real. The wise men from the east really took, a, took the trip. Uh, the shepherds were blown away by the angels rejoicing in front of them. Herod tried to take Jesus out by killing a lot of baby boys, right? That story is real. Women really did weep over their children. These are real events in our lives. And Jesus took off with his parents to Egypt. Uh, for the time being until Herod was taken out. These are, these are real stories. Now, why is that so important? I mean, John really spends quite a few verses here about telling us that he hung out with Jesus, right? That's what he's really saying here. If we were contemporaries of John and he was actually talking to us, think of the stories he could be telling us. He could be talking to us about the time when Jesus turned the water into wine, right? Not only could he tell you that Jesus turned water into wine, but he could tell you if it was a Merlot, right? I mean, he could tell you whether it's white or red or the consistency and the taste. He'd be a little wine snob with us for a little bit. I mean, he knows that kind of detail because he was right there with Jesus, right? He also could talk to us about the time when Jesus fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes. 
that would blow your mind if you were right there in person and you heard Jesus, uh, John talking about that. John was also with them when Jesus came out to them on the boat, right? They were out there trying to get to the other side. And here comes Jesus. They thought he was a ghost, right? John could tell you all about the freak out that Jesus really did for him, right? And then here's John. He sees Peter being the old upshot, right? Who wants to get out of the boat and take a walk on water. And who knows? Maybe John would tell you that he felt a little bit happy that Peter started to drop a little bit because he was a little cocky, right? I mean, he could tell you those kind of stories. He was that close to Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus, uh, uh, John could also tell us about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And most importantly, he could really tell us about the fact that he saw the crucifixion. He was there, right? Jesus told him, hey, take care of my mom, right? He was there also when the tomb was empty. So he's got this eyewitness account. Why does he want to tell us? Why does he spend this much time telling us about that? Because he wants you to know that the power of knowing that Jesus is real is that his promises are real too. So when we take a look and read the word, we're actually reading promises for someone who actually existed and meant what he said. I mean, he's telling us in these verses that Jesus isn't just a man, but he's incarnate, which means he is God and man, right, in flesh. So what are some of these promises that we can hold on to that can give us hope? I just went to the Gospel of John and picked out a couple. I went to uh, uh, John 6.35. I don't have this on the screen. But that says, I am the bread of life, right? Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We can believe that because John's telling us that that person really existed and really told us this promise. And even more so, that he's God himself. I just took one more, John 11, my favorite, John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. That's a huge and wonderful promise from Jesus right there. So you, you think about that, the freedom from death because of the promises of God will light you up to live a life in a new morning that you have always wanted. So hanging on to those promises is key And I think a piece of that is knowing that here John is telling us Jesus is real. So that's really just point number one. Jesus is real. John wants you to know that. His promises are real as well. All right, let's go to point number two. Salvation is by grace alone. What a fabulous doctrine that uh, Hope has preached on for a number of weeks, right? Over this past uh, few months uh, through Reformation, um, 500-year birthday, right? I'm going to take, I'm going to correlate John 1-1 with John 1 1 John 1, A and 2, when we take a look at this. If you take a look at this side by side, John's opening in the gospel looks very similar to the letter, doesn't it? In John 1, 1, he describes Jesus as the word. And in John, 1 John 1, A, 2, he calls Jesus the word of life. And then he calls him actually the eternal life. Regarding how Jesus is described by John, and how this relates to salvation by grace alone, I'm going to let the Pope talk to us, right? We know who that is. Tim Keller's got a few things to say. <clears throat> he inspires me in more than one way, if you can look at him exercising there. <clears throat> so here's what he says about John 1a and John, 1 John 2 around salvation is by grace alone. He says, when John says eternal life was with the Father and has appeared to us, he's referring to Jesus Christ himself. This is a startling statement, but the point's clear. 
We are not being told merely that Jesus Christ has eternal life or even that he gives it. This very verse, he says, is, wait a minute, I should say it this way. This verse says he is eternal life, salvation himself. This is the one truth that we have found hidden in every Christmas passage. In every other religion, the founder points to eternal life, but because Jesus is God come in flesh, he is eternal life. And here's the kicker that I underline here. To unite with him by faith, to know him in love, is to have this life. Period. Full stop. There is nothing else for you to achieve or attain. Amen? I believe the point that Keller is making is that because Jesus is the eternal life, there is nothing more that we can add to what he's done. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? And salvation is found in no one else. If you have this life, if it's in you, you're complete. I was talking with someone over at a Christmas break. Uh, interesting enough, comes up on the same topic here. What, do you, what must you do to be saved, right? And her roommate was telling her that in order to be saved, she had to be baptized. It was, Jesus alone wasn't enough. Had to be baptized. I'm sure some of you have heard these conversations yourself as well. And some of you might even believe this. I'd be happy to talk to you more about it. But I believe this verse is really telling us that it's Jesus alone. You have the life of Jesus. You have enough. The old equation is still very, very true. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We don't need anything else in order to attain, attain our salvation. It's by grace alone. So a sad story, actually, from my brother. I just, just, just popped in my head. Um, he had a stillborn. Uh, this is probably 30 years ago or more. But he had a stillborn baby, and he left the church because the church had told him that his baby was not going to be able to get to heaven because um, it had not been, uh, not, had, not, had been not, not baptized. So he, I, he's coming back around, but it took him 30 years, right, to be able to um, overcome that, that thought. So anyways, this has profound impact on our life, this salvation by grace alone, right? And, and not only does it assure us of life with Christ, but it, in a lot of ways, provides us with a good opportunity to live a little bit more of a better Christian life ourselves. I mean, there are two ways that we are always gravitating toward, one or the other, in our Christian walk. I think one way, if we forget about the, the, uh, this doctrine, is that we can become cocky ourselves, right, a little bit. I mean, we can become arrogant, self-righteous. We can have an attitude toward other people. This is the type of pride that I always I put here, maximizes and makes much of the sin and error pining in others, right? And this is, a, this is a type of pride that classifies certain sins in some kind of a hierarchical order. And where do you think they put their sins, right? A little bit more at the bottom, and the other people's sins a little bit more higher in their hierarchical order, right? This is a type of an attitude that every once in a while says something like, you know, <clears throat> I'm kind of starting to see the wisdom of God when he chose me a little bit here. I mean, God picked a real winner here, right? I actually have something to offer, and I, and I think God did a good job when he chose me a little bit here. And we may not think that, but there's sometimes we kind of think that, hey, this is kind of cool. I've got these really good gifts, and, you know, 
Other people don't, so I'm feeling pretty mighty right now. That is what happens when you start thinking a little bit too much as if your salvation in any way or even uh, your continued Christian growth depends on anything else other than this. So <clears throat> my response to somebody in that is, hey, you got to remember what the Apostle Paul said, right? Who did he say Jesus chose? The weak, the sick, right? The foolish, so in a lot of ways, we could come up and shake somebody's hand and say, hi, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm weak, foolish, and sick, but God chose to use me anyways. This is a pretty powerful thing. I, I think about, again, 21 years ago, and I'm blown away on how God chose to allow me to be a part of something like this. This is really kind of cool. But I'm certainly not trying to be in any way arrogant to say as if I did something that God himself could not do. We bring nothing right to the equation. God chose us mainly because he could get glorified through somebody like us, right? So that's a big piece. Now, what's the other side of the pendulum, right? One side is the cocky, arrogant person, and I think that's where the Pharisees were a little bit more. The other side is, while it looks very different, can be very similar in its seed or its origin, which is pride, and that's the individual who's a little bit struggling with self-pity or self-loathing. And you know, they're predispositioned to this lifestyle because typically they, ha- they are just stuck in this idea that why would, go- why would God choose me? Now, it's okay to ask that question. Typically, that can be out of wonderment or awe. Why would God choose me? This is awesome, right? To be chosen. They don't choose it out of that one. Theirs is more out of a woe is me kind of a mentality. I got nothing to bring to the table. And sometimes it's even to the point where they're saying things like, you know what, if I continue to sin in the manner that I am, I am sure that I am one and done. If I do this one more time, God is probably going to stop my heart in the moment and he's going to take me away from himself for all of eternity. So they live in this idea of fear, right, and insecurity. Well, the gospel of it, you know, the, the gospel of salvation by grace alone tells that person to fear not. Don't live in that kind of anxiety. What God offers us in that case is a lot of reconcilement, right, and forgiveness for when we do happen to fall, he offers that. So on both sides of that equation, I think grace, the, you know, the doctrine of grace alone really does provide us an opportunity to not get so cocky and not be so woe as me, right? And it provides that opportunity for us to live a little bit more healthy of a Christian lifestyle, I think. All right, let's move to the third point here, which is sin and death is defeated. <clears throat> this one, I think, is really powerful. To know that sin has been defeated in your life and that death has been defeated in your life is powerful. Where do we see that? I have that where John is talking in verse 2 that he says, we proclaim to you the eternal life, right? We've already seen this. John's referring to Jesus as the eternal life. And as Keller noted, uh, to have Jesus to have eternal life. I then take it to mean, and I believe John does too, that by having Jesus, we not only have eternal life, but the flip side of that coin is that death and sin is destroyed. Let me show you why I believe that uh, in this gospel, just a few different verses from here. I'm going to go to uh, chapter three here real quick and just show you a couple points where I get this, where I think John is pointing to that sin and death is defeated. All right, point number one. Let me just read this real quick and I'll make them. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawless. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to to sin has either seen him or knows him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one 
The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Again, here we go. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Let me go back a slide here, and let's look at... And let's look. There we go. Oops. I'm trying. There we go. Let's look at that verse that I underlined there. <clears throat> and that was, uh, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. <clears throat> John's telling us that, we, that in our life, we've all sinned. I believe that's in the first verse, right? Everyone who sins breaks the law. So everybody is a sinner. We've all broken the law. We're all law, lawlessness in that sense. But what John's telling you here is that Jesus has come. His purpose for coming is to take that sin away from you. That lawlessness that's in us, one of the things that he's come to do is to take that from you. And when he takes that from you, the outcome is we're no longer slaves to sin, right? This, the power of sin has been broken in us and it is ju justification, right? It is just as if we have never sinned. So there's one way that that happens to you. The next one is that Jesus himself, in verse eight, he, John takes it a step further. And I think what Jesus does here is he takes out the factory that creates the sin in the first place, right? That's the devil. So it says in verse eight, the one who does what it, oh, it says, uh, yeah, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, that's what the devil does. He, ch he churns out sin. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So not only is Jesus destroying the sin inside of you, according to verse two, but he's also destroying where the sin even comes from, the devil himself. And this is super powerful when you think about the fact that Jesus, our eternal life, also by his life destroys that which seeks to destroy the life in us. That's been taken care of. Not only does he destroy sin, but the second part is he destroys death, right? And I'm going to bring in the Apostle Paul quickly on this one. This is from 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57. And this to me is, I always call this death's obituary. <clears throat> Because let's read this together here. It says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up by victory. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where, O oh, death, is your... Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Right? Is that an amen or what? I mean, death itself has been swallowed up. One of the things I think about is um, every once in a while, I think it's a good idea to think about your deathbed. How will I be, how will I act? If I happen to be on a bed, who knows how it's going to happen right here. Whatever it happens, I just want to make sure, and, I, and I, I pray this for you as well, that we die well. We believe that Jesus was real, he rose from the dead. We've been saved by grace alone. Sin and death has been destroyed. That gives us hope on our deathbed, right? It's a powerful opportunity to be a witness all the way to the bitter end, right? Because we know that death has been swallowed up. We're not going to die. Jesus said in the promise, right, of John 11, 
that he's the resurrection and the life. We believe in him. What happens? We live, right? Even though we may die. These are some powerful verses. Now, my, one verse that I didn't put up there that I just absolutely love because it shows how we can be freed from the fear of death is in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. And it goes like this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him, the devil, who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those, here's the kicker here, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. We can wipe that fear away right now because we've got the promises of 1 John and Corinthians and Jesus himself right in the Gospels. So life in Jesus means that life and death are destroyed and we are freed from the slavery that death can hold over us. <clears throat> All right, let me save the best for last. Oh, I went too far there. See, I'm a rookie at this. Come on, you can do it. There it is. It's we have fellowship with the Lord, right? I mean, it says right there, back to 1 John 1 through 3 through 4, in verse 3 it says, he's writing all these things so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. To me, this is one of the greatest points that you could have. John tells us that we can have fellowship with the Father and the Son, right? If you don't hear anything else tonight, I would ask that you hear that a relationship with God is your ultimate reason for hope in a new and glorious morn. For anyone that has life in Jesus, you have the intimate relationship with God. John actually calls him in First John, uh, in the Gospel of John in 1.12, right? We, we can be called children of God, right? And the Apostle Paul tells us that we can even call him Daddy, right? Abba, Father. There's this sense of an intimate relationship that we can have when we have life with Jesus. This is power that moves us to anything else that we might want to do in our Christian life. This is our motivation. Now, in just a few minutes, we're going to move into a time of communion, Maybe for the first time, you can actually take the bread and the juice in that physical sense and turn it into a real communion, a real koinia, right, with God. You could do that right now. It's as easy as, as we say, your ABCs backwards, right? C, confess that you've broken God's law, as we saw here in 1 John. B, believe that Jesus has given you himself. In other words, he's the eternal life that you want. And A, you got to just accept it and take it on for yourself, right? Own it. We have to believe, in a sense, and accept that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that his promises are real. It can be that fast. And you can take communion maybe for the very first time tonight with the real relationship with him, and I just pray that you would here. All right, I just have a few more points here. <clears throat> and this is a beautiful point. John sums up all four of what I've talked about. Jesus is real. Point two, salvation is by grace alone. Point three, death and sin are destroyed and that we have fellowship with the Father. Why does he write all this? He says we write this to make your joy complete. So if you want complete joy, it's a relationship with the Lord. Now, if you know something about John, you know that he was kind of a hothead. Does anybody remember that? You remember John, what he was called with his brother James? His nickname, Son of Thunder, he called, you know, I mean, he had, to say that he had an anger issue is to actually take it a little bit of an understatement, right? 
So, <clears throat> and what changed him? That's the big question. If you've got an anger issue, what changes you, right? It's this relationship with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. And it fundamentally transformed the way he lived his life. I mean, this apostle, more than his anger issues, is actually known for his love, isn't it? He's the apostle of love. And it's because John loves Jesus so much that he wants you to hear this exact same message in his letter. So anybody who has this love like John has can experience the same kind of joy that is there. And it's an everlasting joy that is an opportunity for you to have a real good morning, right? An ultimate morning because oftentimes we feel too heavily that weightness of sin and error pining inside of us. And we can, you can be rid of that by having that joy that only comes from Jesus. Now, my application here is just a couple of things. I mean, it is 2017. It is January, right? So we need to bring up a little bit of how we develop that relationship that we can get that joy. And it really comes from just a couple places that I can think of. Well, I'd probably think of three, but I'm really going to push two on you. So I'd say application number one is make a plan to grow your relationship with God in 2018. Let's make this an opportunity. Now, what's our motivation for doing this? It is not because you have to. It's because you get to, right? It's this relationship that God has given you, this eternal life that you have, this joy everlasting that you want to read his Bible. You want to talk to him and pray. That's just an opportunity to make it a priority. Plan it, make it a priority to grow your relationship. And then point number two is while we do do this a lot by ourselves with our daily devotions or whenever you take care of the, that stuff or we go to our prayer closets, I think it's equally important to make sure we do this in community. It's the reason we gather here. It's the reason we have small groups. It's the reason you need accountability, right? Hebrews tells us if we forget to hang out together, that actually can put us in peril. So the second uh, idea I'd have for you is that you would do this also in community. That's kind of really where we're going here. Make priority uh, to get to know God a little bit better. So, all right. We're now really going to move into a time of communion here. And at Hope, like we always say, uh, you don't have to be a member of our church, of this building at all. We just ask that you have that fellowship with the Lord. You can be a member anywhere. As long as you have a fellowship with the Lord and you can say that you have eternal life right now with Jesus, you can get up at any point and go ahead and receive that uh, communion. Now, over here to my left, we have the gluten-free, for those of you that go that way. And, uh, of course, we have another opportunity over here for those of you that don't want that. <clears throat> uh, the other thing I'm supposed to say is that in the back, there will be a few people who would love to pray with you. If there is anything on your heart right now that you want to give over to the Lord and you want to just take that first step and do that in community, go back there and pray with them. They would love to lift you up in that sense. <clears throat> All right. With that said, let me just take a time uh, to pray. And then we're going to get that band, I guess, up here. And we're going to do a few songs. So, all right, Lord, you, through your word, do an awesome job of bringing us to yourself. You are real. You have slayed death itself. You have slayed our slavery to the fear of death. 
You've done that through new life in Jesus. And I just pray right now, tonight, that wherever we are in our spiritual journey, that you would draw us that much closer to who you are, to put in us a desire to fellowship with you in a new way in 2018. May we take that on, God, um, as our challenge to get to know you and our desire and joy so that not only are we touched, but the people around us in St. Paul and Minneapolis and around the world who will be watching us on February 4th will know that Hope Community loves you. In Jesus' name, amen.